So it's almost time for the Super Bowl, right? Yay, I know. I don't even know who's in it this year. The Cowboys aren't in it, so uh, who? The Spurs are in it. Yeah, the Spurs are in it. That's right, Nick. That's right, Nick. The Spurs are in the Super Bowl, right? For many people, the best part of the Super Bowl is not actually the game, but the the food. Who said food? <laughs> it's the, the food and the commercials. That's right. Some of the best commercials uh, invite us into a story, a story that captivates us and that stirs us and that, that moves us to want to uh, buy or participate in whatever the commercial is about. But often the, the whole commercial is a story uh, that's not really even related to the product, right? But if it can draw you in, perhaps it, it can convince you to buy whatever is selling. A couple of years ago, uh, one of the commercials was about uh, this sweet puppy and this horse, this, these best friends. The, the puppy had encountered the horse. It's a minute long. Commercial's only a minute long. But, but in that minute, the story between the, of the friendship between this puppy and this horse in which they exchange these kisses and uh, the puppy visits the horse and is taken back home and the puppy escapes to get back to the horse. Uh, a couple of times in the story, this happens. The puppy escapes, gets to the horse, is taken home. Puppy escapes, gets to the horse. And, and finally, they give the puppy to someone who's taking the puppy away from this farm, away from this space. And in the commercial, the horses come to the rescue of the puppy. You can see the puppy in the, in the front, right, running back home. And the commercial ends with, with the puppy and, and one of the horses kind of jumping up and down, playing in, in the field. Well, the commercial has nothing to do with puppies or with horses. Does anybody know what this commercial is for? Beer. Beer. Right. But the story over the course of this minute just draws you in. Stories are important to us. They, they help give us a, a shape to the reality of our lives. They uh, provide a narrative for how our world works and who we are in the world. Long before the Super Bowls were a part of our lives, Jesus used stories all the time. By some uh, measure, 30 to 50 percent of the words that we have a record of Jesus using were used in the context of stories that we call parables. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. The thing about a, a story is that it draws you in and sometimes it can uh, clear your mind enough to actually hear what's underneath it. If I, if I stand up and just lecture or, or teach, that's one thing. You're gaining information. But if I can put it into a story, somehow it connects with you in a, in a deeper way sometimes that allows a piece of transformation to take place. It's not just information. It becomes transformation. Parables are stories that Jesus uses, and he takes a very familiar object that's part of the story, and often, though, spins it into an unfamiliar ending. Things that would have been familiar to the people of that day, and they would have certain expectations of that object or that idea. And often Jesus flips it upside down. 
Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God, but it would not be like what the people were expecting it to be. The power of stories is part of the transformation revealing to us who Jesus is. Parables then aren't simply nice, friendly illustrations designed to help people get their minds around deep, abstract truth. The truth they speak of isn't abstract at all. It's what God is doing personally, bodily, in Jesus and his work, and what God will do through his death and resurrection. It doesn't look like what most people were expecting. This weekend, we're starting a series on some of Jesus' parables, and I invite you over the next several weeks to come with your ears open to hear, but your hearts and minds opened also to be transformed by the story of the kingdom of God, the story of Jesus and and God's love for us. As we begin, let us pray. Lord, I pray that uh, you would come and pour your spirit out upon us, that our ears might be open to hear your word and our hearts might be open to be transformed by your word. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God has sent Jesus into the world to proclaim the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that is going to look very different than what the people were expecting, what the people knew about kings and kingdoms, was not going to be what the kingdom of God looked like. God sends Jesus to usher in this kingdom in which uh, God will reign once again, but it will be a reign of love and mercy, of grace and and kindness. It will be a, a kingdom in which those who have been captive are set free, in which those who are blind will see, in which those who have been sick and suffering will be healed. It will be a kingdom unlike any other, a kingdom of restoration and transformation. Our parables that Jesus offers to us gives us a glimpse of how that kingdom will be. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." The image of uh, a mustard seed, this is uh, a, the, a mustard seed, this teeny tiny little seed. It wasn't necessarily the very smallest seeds, but it was known as being one of the smallest seeds that when planted becomes a tree or a shrub that could be anywhere from two feet to nine feet tall, depending on the type, the variety of the seed. These mustard seeds, Jesus talks about the seed being planted in a field. You would not plant this in a field where you are raising other crops because once it begins uh, to grow, once it's planted and grows, it is very hard to get rid of. It will overtake whatever crop is already in the field, choking that out, and nearly impossible to kill it. Reminds me a little bit of of bamboo. Do any of you have experience with bamboo? We had some in our backyard one time, and we cut it down. I knew nothing. We cut it down, and we drug it across the yard because the gate was on the 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 other side of the house. We didn't think anything of it until a few weeks later, bamboo starts popping up all in the yard. 
And you cannot get rid of it, right? It, it's, it's strong. It's, it's sturdy. It creates that space. Jesus says the, the kingdom of heaven is like this mustard seed that, that's planted in the field. That's really nothing to begin with. But once it begins to take root and grow, it's pretty unstoppable. You can't get rid of it. But the people hearing this would have thought, this, this is what the kingdom of God is about? Really? This little tiny seed that becomes this bush, that's the kingdom of God Almighty, the kingdom of heaven? It would have been baffling to them. It would have probably been frustrating to the the Israelites who were hoping that the kingdom of God would be ushered in kind of with, a, with the wind like today, a mighty roar and, and, and rushing waters and, and the government overturned. And Jesus says, no, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like this tiny seed that takes root and takes time and, and patience. But, but once it grows, this is what it becomes. And, and the people who knew that, who were in positions of power, would probably be a little concerned by that as well. If they, if they played out the whole scenario, they would understand that once the kingdom of God began to grow, even from the smallest group of people, even from the smallest acts of mercy and justice and kindness, that it really would be unstoppable. They tried to, uh, to end it in killing Jesus, and it kept growing. They, they tried to end it in, in persecuting the followers of Jesus, and, and it kept growing. The kingdom of heaven is like this in that it starts so small. But over time and with perseverance, it grows into something that is unstoppable. The other thing I learned about mustard this week is that it was known in ancient times for its healing properties. They didn't put it on their hot dogs. We do. It was healing properties. It, it was for intestinal issues and to relieve pain and other illnesses and that sense of Jesus Jesus used ordinary objects but the people would understand the multiple meanings of that object so here is the kingdom of God that like this mustard seed and and the plant the kingdom of God that would be healing for the nations would be a source of restoration for the nations I wonder if you think about the church today if you think about the followers of Jesus today, how this fits with you or how it resonates with you. I wonder if you ever, uh, ever feel discouraged by the weight of the world and, and by the circumstances of the world and by the barrage of, of pressure in our culture and our society for things to be a certain way. And when we turn on the news or... Uh, we're online or we read the newspaper, and, and the news is so often bad. And there seems to be an increase, or perhaps it's just an awareness, an increased awareness of how poorly we treat one another and how difficult it can be to live in community together. And the increase in... in uh, anger and hatred and, and reactivity, the, the violence and, and the response when we don't get things our way. Sometimes it's discouraging to me to look at the world around and, and we come into this space and we're insulated a little bit and we're with other people who 
are, are for the kingdom of God and we walk back out into the world and it's just hard some days. And I wonder if you're ever discouraged by that. And if you are, maybe this parable is, is for you today to remind you of who we are called to be as the body of Christ. The kingdom of heaven comes in, in Jesus Christ and in us now as the body of Christ. The kingdom of heaven that is here now and will come. That characteristic of it that allows us to know what it means now to live in justice and mercy and grace and to anticipate that one day when Christ returns it will be even grander than we can imagine where all will be well. I wonder how this resonates with you. Do you ever feel like you want to make a difference but you're just one person? Well all it takes is one seed to be planted. One seed to be planted for a difference to be made. I was at a a funeral earlier this week for the wife of uh, one of our uh, clergy colleagues in our conference, and one of the stories they told was when they were living out in Sterling City, which is on the other side of San Angelo, her kids were young, and she uh, wanted a a school for them and, and recognized the need for kind of a Montessori kind of school. And they didn't have a place to do it or money to do that with, so she started it in her garage. And this was many years ago. Her children are all grown. This, this school of, of love and development and, and teaching that began in their garage is still in operation today. They bought property. They created a board. They did all the things they were supposed to do, but she was doing it because her children needed it. And she invited others from the community to do it, but The seed that was planted has grown tenfold, twentyfold. And the lives that are impacted by her one act of faithfulness, seeing a need and meeting the need. The mustard seed and and the growth that it takes sometimes for us to experience the the kingdom of God in our midst is, is that it requires some patience and some confidence that the one who is planting the seed in us and through us is is going to bring fruit from that seed. If you're discouraged today by the state of the world, maybe maybe this parable is for you. It's a story that Jesus tells, but he invites us in to the story. You know, this weekend we also celebrate and remember Martin Luther King Jr. and the impact of his life and ministry and the legacy that he leaves that changed our world. And I wonder, as I was thinking about him this week, I wondered, did he ever feel like this, that he was just planting a small seed, hoping that it would take root? And every time he faced discouragement or people being angry at him or pushing back at him, or did, did he come back to this sense of, I'm just being faithful to making the kingdom of God a reality. So I'm going to keep being this one seed. And trust God. Trust God to, to grow something out of that. Our hearts and our right, our hearts and our minds were in the right place toward justice, toward love, toward mercy. Then, then what we say and what we do toward those things will take root, even long after we're here. We don't have time 
to waste thinking that we're not significant or that we don't matter or that we can't do anything. Because what we do now will outlive us. That's the whole idea of of the seed and, and planting it so that the kingdom of God continues to be a reality. Immediately after this parable, Jesus tells another parable. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. This would be strange for those hearing it. Remember, he's telling these stories to to the Jewish people, the people of Israel, who are longing for something new, longing for God to restore them and redeem them and save them. He's talking to them. They're hearing him. And, and to the people of that day who weren't Jewish and, and to the, the people, the religious leaders, all of them are hearing these stories. And this parable, this one-sentence parable, this one-sentence story would have been a little bit strange for some of them as well. Yeast or, or leaven in some Jewish texts and in some contexts was considered to be symbolic of sin and evil. Before Passover, one of the things you have to do is get rid of all the leaven from your home. Get rid of all the yeast from your home. Remember when the, uh, God delivered the people from Pharaoh and, and what they took with them was unleavened bread. They didn't have time to let the bread rise. And so in that Passover, when they celebrate the deliverance that God offers to them, that God provides from them, they do so without any of that leaven. They have to get rid of it. So here Jesus is, for many of them, when they hear yeast or leaven, it's a bad thing, and Jesus is turning it into a good thing. That's part of what stories do when we hear something that is familiar and yet it doesn't quite fit. It forces our brains to work in a different way, to think beyond what our own assumptions are into what might be being told to us. And so here is this yeast uh, that would have caught their attention, not only for what they thought it represented, but they also understood, and we understand, the transforming power of yeast. I mean, the difference between unleavened bread, between a cracker and between some yummy bread that has risen a couple of times, right? Uh, my grandmother makes the, made the best yeast rolls ever, and I can't really reproduce it. I'm not sure how that works. It might just be her fingers in that dough, right? But there's just something about the transforming power of the yeast that grows almost like a mustard seed from nothing into this amazing, amazing transforming thing. The coming of the kingdom in a similar way causes transformation in us and in the world in which we live. You know, the thing about the yeast being part of the dough is that as it does its work, as it does its magic in that dough, it often rises so that the container can't even hold it anymore. There's this power of, of growth and change that makes it something completely different than where it was when it started. Something small ending up making a big difference. But also, if you've, weighed, if you've made any kind of yeast bread, you know it also takes time and patience, right, to let the work happen. The other thing that would have caught the attention of the hearers in this story is that Jesus tells this, that it's a woman who is making this bread, 
a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour. And that day, women had no value in that culture, uh, uh, no value of significance in terms of leadership or being recognized. And, and Jesus could have chosen anyone to talk about making bread, and he chose a woman. Choosing a woman in a kitchen in an ordinary place, an ordinary object in an ordinary place with a woman involved as, as the agent at work would have been striking to those listening who would have been steeped in the male-dominated uh, culture of the time. They would have heard that and understood that it wasn't it wasn't a priest who was making the bread. It wasn't a holy person set apart making the bread, acting as that agent of transformation. It was a woman. It was a woman acting to make the kingdom a reality. In this story, too, it says, uh, mixed it with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The people hearing would have known this story out of Genesis, the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat down at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah, his wife, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took the curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Sarah was, uh, was old, was unable to have children. And yet, you might remember that Abraham is the one with whom God has made the covenant way back in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So these strangers come and meet Abraham and Sarah, and, and Abraham says to her, make this bread with three measures of choice flour. And one of the strangers says, you're going to have a baby. people hearing Jesus would understand the connection between the promise of God made and the promise of God fulfilled. That even though it's God doing the work, we cooperate with God's spirit in that work for the transformation of the world, for the coming of the kingdom of God. 
the people listening to Jesus would have made the connection. It's God who does the work, but we participate in that work. Maybe you're not sure that you have a role to play in the kingdom of God. Maybe for you, you think it's just coming to to worship and and that is, is what is yours to do. But the truth is, all of us who say we follow Jesus play a role in making the kingdom of God a reality wherever we are. The kingdom of God that uh, looks very different than our culture, very different than our society. The kingdom of God that that breaks in and, and grows and becomes more visible with every act of love, with every act of kindness, as kindness is, is chosen over cruelty, with every choice to be engaged rather than be apathetic, with every choice to offer compassion rather than be indifferent, with every choice to be generous rather than to be greedy. Because all those choices, when we choose love and mercy and kindness and compassion and engagement, when we choose those things, all of those things act as yeast to leaven the bread, act as that agent of transformation, act as seeds to be planted, that are, that are planted that will grow whether we ever see them grow or not. We plant the seeds in what we say, in what we do, understanding that the way Jesus invites us to live really is upside down from the world in which we live. Jesus works in us and through us. And by the power of the Spirit allows what is, what is small to be mighty and what is hidden to be present. So that this kingdom of God that we long for, the reign of God that we are waiting for, we receive right now. And we anticipate it being even more fulfilled when Christ returns. Jesus invites us into these stories, these parables, because they help give shape to our own lives as ones who follow Jesus. I invite you over the next few weeks to think about what your story is and, and where it is that you experience God's grace in that. Maybe, maybe what you will remember are the ways in which God's kingdom has been made real to you through other people. And maybe you'll realize that your response is to help make God's kingdom real. Wherever you are, with whomever God puts in your path, not for us, not for our glory, but for God's glory. So that God's love really is what reigns and rules in our hearts and our lives and in this world. We're in the stories. I wonder where you are in these particular stories. Let us pray. Loving God, we're grateful that you have given us life and that we are part of this amazing, beautiful world 
but also is difficult and challenging. <laughs> we long for your presence. We long for your kingdom to be made known in us and through us. For all who are oppressed to be free, for all who are in need of healing to be healed. We long for the restoration of justice and mercy in our own hearts and lives and families and in our world. And so we pray that we would have ears open to hear the words of Jesus, to allow them to penetrate our minds and our hearts, that we might not simply go with what we assume to be true, but be open to what you are asking us to know about what is true. And we pray that our words and our actions, that our thoughts, that all that we say and do really would truly reflect your love and mercy, your kindness and compassion, that your kingdom might be known even now. We're grateful that Jesus allows us to know your kingdom and to be part of making your kingdom known. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.